Welcome to the Empire Builders Podcast, teaching business owners the not-so-secret techniques that took famous businesses from mom-and-pop to major brands. Stephen Semple is a marketing consultant, story collector, and storyteller. I'm Stephen's sidekick and business partner, Dave Young. Before we get into today's episode, a word from our sponsor, which is, well, it's us. But we're highlighting ads we've written and produced for our clients. So here's one of those. When's the last time you asked to have your Sumpy Pumpy examined? Right now, you're asking yourself, what the BWS is he talking about? I didn't think I needed my Sumpy Pumpy checked until I was at least 50 years old. Well, that's not the Sumpy Pumpy I'm talking about. That's an entirely different matter. I'm talking about that thing down in the hole, in the basement of your house. It's called a Sump Pump. Or as I like to say, a Sumpy Pumpy. It keeps the spring thaws and spring rains from flooding the old basement, if you know what I mean. Sometimes a sump pump will quietly give up the ghost with no symptoms until your basement starts to smell like a biology experiment gone awry. Just remember your old friends at BWS Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning, where the B is for plumbing. Give us a shout, and we'll send a plummy plumber right over to have a look down into your sumpy pumpy to make sure everything is hunky-dory. And if you're over 50, you know what to do. Welcome to the Empire Builders Podcast. Uh, Dave Young here with Stephen Semple. And Stephen is just, he's, he's breaking tradition. Instead of whispering today's topic into my ear moments before hitting the record button, as is usual, he decided to not whisper it in my ear at all. What's going on, Stephen? Changing it up a little. Changing, Changing it up. Changing it up. All right. Yeah. So have you ever heard of Joseph Rosefield. Joseph Rosefield. Joseph Rosefield. I think I might have gone to third grade with little Joey Rosefield, but I, I, I could have him confused with someone else. No, I've not heard of Joseph Rosefield. <laughs> yeah, and this is, this is a little different Joseph Rosefield than anybody you would have gone to you know, first grade with. He's a father of a product that is found in over 90% of homes in the U.S., there's 700 million pounds eaten annually in the U.S. alone. And in fact, he's responsible for not one, but two brands in this category. It's got to be sugar. You know, you're close. You're really? close. Yeah. Peanut butter. Peanut butter. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Now, peanut butter was invented by Kellogg as a health food for people who couldn't eat meat. But it had a very different texture. It was like kind of cement and oil. It was a paste. And Kellogg had patented this process for developing what he called nut meal. So he would boil the nuts. And then what he would do is, is he'd grind it into a meal. And then what happened is lots of people left, <laughs> lots of employees left Kellogg's and set up their own businesses, basically grinding up these peanuts. And what you would have is you would have this oil and this ground peanut. It's kind of like, it's kind of like the natural peanut butter you see in the stores today. You know how the oil separates from the peanuts and you got to kind of mix it all up. Yeah. And the, the description of it, I mean, even though it's just one ingredient, right? The description of it boiling and then mashing into it, like that it takes all the excitement out of it for me. It's like, I love peanut butter, but I don't, I don't even want to know that. And today what a lot of makers do is, is roast the peanuts. But here's the problem. Instead of boiling them. Yeah. I'm for that. Here's the problem. In the early 1900s, just like that natural peanut butter, that peanut butter would go bad. It needs to be refrigerated. It would go rancid. So enter 
Joseph Rosefield. He was a food distributor. He did pickles and coffee and tea and also distributed a peanut butter brand called Luncheon. And he had a problem with this peanut butter product coming back pretty regularly spoiled. Because when the oil and the peanuts separate and it's not refrigerated, it spoils. And there were a lot of people making peanut butter uh, at this point by roasting the peanuts and doing that. And, and the demand had grown because during World War I, Governments promoted peanuts as a meat substitute. So there was like this meatless okay. Monday. So that grew demand and grew the awareness of this peanut butter and people started creating a taste for it. So he decided he wanted to make a shelf stable peanut butter. So he starts experimenting with chemistry because the problem that he discovered is that the oil melts. That's what actually makes it separate at room temperature. Okay. So he needed to find a way to raise the melting point of the oil. And there was a new product on the market that he took a look at, margarine. And margarine keeps the oil solid at room temperature because of a process known as hydronization. Yeah. Now, hydronization was invented a decade earlier by Procter & Gamble when they had to find a substitute for lard in the making of soap. So Rosenfeld decides to experiment with hydronizing peanut oil. And it turns okay. out this changes the structure of oil to become something more stable. So the hydrogen molecule binds, and now you've got something that's a molecule yeah. that's more stable. And now the peanut butter is smooth and creamy and will stay that way and not go back. And you can just sit it in your pantry like, like we've done since we were little children. Exactly. So he starts to file a patent for his process. And he learns another patent was filed three weeks earlier, and the process was licensed to Heinz. Oh, wow. Now, he determines his process is different enough that he can go ahead with his patent. But here's the problem. He now has a huge competitor, Heinz. And at this time, Heinz was a major company, 7,000 employees, international in scope. This is kind of bad news. He's like, I'm going to be competing against freaking Heinz. But when the Heinz product comes out, Joseph realizes that they've got it wrong. The Heinz product mm. is thicker. It does not spread well. What they did is they fully hydronized all the peanut oil. His was partially which makes it creamier, peanut butter, right? Because it had more of a butter feel to it. But now he has to compete with Heinz in their distribution. So he decides to go to Chicago to a food producer called Case, Case Foods, which was a subsidiary of Swift. Now, they mainly did meat, but they also had a peanut butter line that was not shelf-stable. And so he presents the idea to them, and they love it. So they sign a licensing agreement to use his process to make this peanut butter. And the first peanut butter product that they launch is called Dainty Peanut Butter. Dainty. Dainty Peanut Butter. It does not sell well. And he realizes he needs to rethink the product. And around this time, sliced bread comes out onto the market. And what he realizes is kids can now make things on their own without their parents' help. So maybe they should market peanut butter to kids. Food and products are not being marketed to kids at this time because there's a couple of issues. How do you reach the kids? There's no TV. There's not radio in every home. So how do you reach the kids? And he decided to appeal directly to them by the name and the packaging. I could guess. There's one or two. Maybe, okay. maybe either Peter Pan or Skippy. Peter Pan. Peter Pan. Peter Pan, because what he notices is there's a popular book, Peter and Wendy, that is turned uh -huh. into a play and also the first movie geared to kids, Peter Pan. Did he not have some trademark issues with that? You know what's incredible is he talked to no one and he did it and it never ended up becoming a problem and I have no idea how that happened. 
I can't believe Disney didn't get involved. And maybe it was pre-Disney. Would have been pre that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So now, crazy thing about Peter Pan peanut butter. It's still one of the most popular brands of peanut butter today. So they relaunched Amen at Kids flying off the shelves. Yeah. Three years of success. George Cass dies. He's the guy who, who was Cass Foods and, and signed the agreement. Finance guys take over. They take a look at this deal and they say, hey, we want to change the deal. We want to cut your fees in half. Oh, no. And he says, screw that. He breaks off the agreement. But he doesn't own the brand. He okay. doesn't own the brand. So what do you do? This right start of the Great Depression where meat substitute and inexpensive meals is a real need. And he decides to make a new peanut butter. Okay. But by this time, there's lots of competitors have come into the market. But what he notices is everyone is making the same variation of creamy. They're all smooth. Mm. So what does he do? Makes it crunchy. Yes. Don't grind the peanuts completely. Yeah. Leave some of them in, in pieces. And he looks to pop culture for an inspiration in marketing. And there's this comic out that is called... It's got to be Skippy. Skippy. <laughs> <laughs> and it also had become a movie. It had four Oscar nominations. So he named his peanut butter Skippy. Still no trade name issues? Still no trade name issues, which is really remarkable. That's crazy. You couldn't do that today. No, no, you would not be able to do that today. But he also changes the packaging. He goes to a, a bottle with a wider mouth, making it easier for kids to make sandwiches. So mm -hmm. by 1940, Skippy's doing really well and it's making a profit. Long comes World War II. Government wants to take over his property, which would put him out of business. But mm. instead, he talks him into buying his product. Meat substitute. Stable. Peanut butter can be shipped anywhere heck yeah and and soldiers in fact invent a new sandwich on uh, a sandwich that gets gets nicknamed the food of soldiers and it's pb and j pb and j yeah because they, they, they probably had little packets of jelly and they had little packets of peanut butter and yeah and sliced bread off you, and go. off you go so when the troops come back they actually already have this taste preference for skippy peanut butter because they've been eating it during the war and we've seen this you know, with so many products where during World War II, troops got exposed to it like scotch. <laughs> yeah, scotch, spam, right. uh, lots of things. And come back with this desire for that product. So in 1947, Joseph gets his revenge and Skippy becomes number one, surpassing Peter Pan. And by the mid-50s, it's selling more than the top three competitors combined. Heinz mm. even leaves the market. Heinz goes, we're done, we're out. Stay tuned, we're gonna wrap up this story and tell you how to apply this lesson to your business right after this. Hey Rick, how's it going? Okay, fine. <laughs> that doesn't sound okay. Well, what is it? My business. What about it? You probably wouldn't understand. Hit me. Well, you know I love it. But? My revenues have flatlined and I'm not growing anymore. Okay. Well, it's frustrating and depressing, and it was so much better when we were growing. Oh, I bet it was. And nothing I've tried has moved the needle. What about talking to Steven? Steven who? You know, the guy that hosts this podcast. Really? You think he could help? I hear he runs a paid-for-performance marketing agency. I wonder how that works. Why don't you ask him how? Book one of those free starter sessions on the podcast website. I don't know. You can't say you've tried everything. If you don't try this. You're right. I might even learn something. I bet you do. Thanks, man. Let's go grab a bite. Yeah, sounds good.
right after you call Stephen. Okay, okay. Book your starter session on this podcast website. Just visit theempirebuilderspodcast.com and click on Get Started. Let's pick up our story where we left off, and trust me, you haven't missed a thing. In 1958, Jif enters the market, but that's a completely different story that we're not going to be that we're not going to be talking about today. We're going to we're talking about Joseph and his and his successes. First, he has the innovation that changes the product into something that that can be mass marketed and is shelf stable. Right, that's brilliant in itself. That's the last original idea he had, and <laughs> then it's just steel names. But I was going to say. That's also a brilliant move because he's riding the coattails of popular culture in marketing something to children. And he was really great at looking around. Like, so even this whole idea of changing the structure of the peanut butter came from looking at margarine. So I said, okay, well, what did they yeah. do over here? Well, maybe I can do this here. But the idea of marketing the kids came from this unexpected opportunity due to sliced bread. Right. So so he looked at sliced bread and he said, this is going to change things. So this yeah. opens up this new market and often lose sight of these unexpected opportunities that happen due to a technological change. And sliced bread was a technological change. Right. Mm -hmm. it, it, and it changed the landscape, opening up the opportunity to kids. But then, like you were saying, in terms of marketing to kids, he looked at pop culture. Yeah. And I think today. If there was something where there was the name, okay, you couldn't take the name, but you could still look to pop culture for the inspiration. I think it's a mistake not to. Yes. Right. You you need to be fully aware of what's going on and and see if there are trends that you can uh, that you can surf on with a product and, and with a name. Without you know, I wouldn't name something after a Disney film today. Right. Uh, the the legal environment has changed. But, um, <laughs> I love this story in so many ways. And I have a theory, Stephen, about peanut butter. Let's hear your peanut butter theory. I think that fully 80% of those 700 million pounds of peanut butter that you were talking about. Yeah. I think fully 80% are eaten off a spoon. <laughs> that, 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 could, that could be. That could be. But, you know, the other part that I also like about him is when he decided to re-enter the peanut butter market, the first thing he did was take a look at what everybody was doing and figured out something that was different. Yeah. You know, and so often people look at the leaders and want to copy the leaders instead of going, all right, they're all doing this thing. What can I do that's different and new and innovative? Sure. Yeah. Really, really a cool story. And, and even when the government's stepping in and saying, hey, it's wartime and we've got to commandeer all these all these resources in business and industry. And he figured out a way to, to convince them, no, I'm good. I'm here to help you instead of take over my factory and, and start making whatever it is that you, you think soldiers want to eat. Yeah. Instead, he convinced them, you should buy the product I'm making. Yeah. Like the guy was very sharp, very innovative, and very aware of kind of the world around him. Kind of a cool story. And how often is it said, do you, do you get something where, you know, he develops one product, loses it, creates the second one, takes over the world. Like, and, and what I found incredible is when you named two peanut butters. It was those, yeah. <laughs> it was those two. <laughs> well, it's, it's the, the, the two that I could think of with names that kids would like. Right. Right. We may not know uh, the origin story of Skippy may not be in the public consciousness anymore, but it's certainly a, a, a young sounding name, right? It's a, it's a little kid or it's a dog or a puppy or something like that, right? 
Yeah, exactly. And, and of course, Peter Pan is Peter Pan. Joseph Rosefield, really the father of peanut butter. The father of peanut butter. I wonder if that's on his, his uh, tombstone. I don't know. That would be an interesting question. Thanks for sharing this one, Stephen. That was fun. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Please share us. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app and leave us a big, fat, juicy five-star rating and review. And if you have any questions about this or any other podcast episode, email to questions at the Empire Builders Podcast dot com.